Good morning. My name's Ernie. I'm the pastor here. Welcome to Mercy Hill Church. We are so excited to have you with us this morning. And college students, ah, makes my heart so warm that you're here. So excited that you're here. Heard some, saw the video from the party. It was not tame. Uh, in fact, I heard there was like some broken bones and some other random stuff. I think I see some signs of that around me. Kevin's got his arm in a sling, all right? Uh, but if you're new to Mercy Hill Church, uh, there's something we want you to know is that the kind of church that Mercy Hill Church is, is that we want to be a church that both loves the campus and loves the city. Uh, there are lots of churches in our, in, our, in our city that love the city but don't love the campus, and there are a lot of organizations and churches that love the campus that don't love it. We think the best picture of church for both city people and all and community life and college students is in a multi-generational expression. And so we really desire for you college students to be a part of Mercy Hill Church. We love Salt Company. We see Salt Company as our missional arm of our church to reach the campus. We, we give a lot of resources to it for them to do what they need to do. And we're really excited about what we see God doing in Salt Company. So if you're not involved in Salt Company, you should be because it will be a transformational thing for you. And we're excited to feed y'all lunch. Another thing you're going to notice, too, about Mercy Hill Church is we're a church that teaches the Bible. Uh, our main diet of how we teach the Word of God is we pick a book and we go through verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We don't skip and pick the things that we want to talk about. Every now and then we have a topical. In fact, right now you're in the middle of a topical one called The Living House, which is a little bit out of step of what we typically do. Most of the time we're in the book. So next week we'll start the book of Galatians, and we're really excited to get through that. And if you're in here and you're not in a connection group, we really think it's important that you are. And the best way for you to get connected is to fill out that, to scan that code, and say, and hey, I want to get connected. I want to see what my next step is to be a part of the Mercy Hill family. We think it's extremely important for you to do that. But as I said, we're in a series called The Living House. In fact, we have a diagram. If we can pull that up really quickly. This is something we really desire for everyone to be in our church, that this would be a picture of you. And for you guys in the back, it may be hard to see, but I'm going to run through it, that we believe that we want everyone, the foundation of your life to be Christ. The walls of your life is obedience and faith in him. Those are things that are keeping you going in the right direction. And that after the foundation of your life is Christ, the first thing that we think Jesus is calling us to do is to abide. That word abide is kind of a goofy word that you probably don't hear regularly, but the Bible talks about it a lot. And we had a sermon about it two weeks ago. I really encourage you to see it. But but basically what you need to hear, hear is this, is that God is calling you into relationship first. And he says relationship is experience in the word of God and prayer and gospel community, that those are the areas. And then when we abide in Christ, what he promises is Ephesians 4.1, that we begin to walk worthy in our stewardship and our character, that we are transformed from the inside out. And then from that point on, we begin to bear fruit. Now we've talked about abiding. We talked about walking worthy. And if you haven't heard, by the way, the abiding talk, I really encourage you to go back and listen to it because it is foundational to the thing that we're talking about today. Because what I find out with most Christians is this, is that they become a follower of Jesus, and then they want to bear fruit. They want to see people come to know Jesus. They want to work on behalf of Jesus. They want to work with Jesus, but they're never with them, and they burn out, and they get tired of it. Or they begin to see a lot of us look at that and go, yeah, I want to be with Jesus, so I need to go do things for Jesus. And they miss that the foundational aspect is that Jesus has to be their foundation and that the next step is abiding in a relationship with God. And they go, Christianity doesn't work. It's too hard. It's not for me. And you never have security in your salvation. You never have security in your standing with God. 
and we don't want you to have that. You need to understand, as we talk about bearing fruit at this moment, the thing that buttresses all of that up is the stuff that's underneath it, is that God has transformed our life and changed us. Now that we're bearing fruit, have you ever said that, oh, I just want to bear fruit today? Never in your life, unless you're a gardener, right? Not many of those out there. It's really hard in my neighborhood. The deer eat all of our garden, all right? But I like the deer, so it doesn't bother me. You know, it bothers my neighbors a lot. You never say bear fruit, but the Bible does. In fact, if you start right at Genesis, right at Genesis with Adam and Eve, the first thing that he says to them is be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Again, to Noah, after he floods it, he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. It's a command that God has over and over and over again. And we're going to see how he talks about that, how Jesus talks about that in the New Testament. Throughout all scripture, there's this command that God gives us to bear fruit. And if you are a gardener or you are a farmer, you understand what fruit is, is that it's excess life from a tree, right? If a tree gets all the nutrients it needs, if it gets all the light that it needs, if it gets the proper amount of water, it's going to bear a lot of fruit. But if it goes to a time where it doesn't get a lot of water, if it goes through a time where it doesn't have the right nutrients in the soil, if it goes through a time where it's not getting any light, it's not going to bear any fruit because all of its energy is just going to be to survive. And see, God commands us to bear fruit because you know what? He doesn't want you just to survive in the Christian life. He wants you to thrive. He doesn't want you just knuckling it out, bear grip and just hold it on by the tips of your fingernails into the Christian life. He wants you to actually live out and thrive within the Christian life. He wants your life to be so full of life that it creates excess life, that it creates life in other people. So the idea of bearing fruit is that our joy that we receive from Christ would be so overflowing in us that would flow into others. It has to start with abiding though. It has to start with flourishing. Now, how many of us in this room, you don't have to raise your hand, it's a rhetorical question. Would you go, man, I'm thriving right now? How many of you want to? How many of you in your heart, you're like, man, I want to have an intimate, deep relationship with God. I want to see people transformed around me. I want to see God work in such an amazing way. See, the fruit of God in your life is this. It's him working through you to others to bring life. But he has to deeply, has to deeply impact you with his life before you can impact others. Every single one of you wants to be a part of something bigger than who you are. Every single one of you. Because God has engineered that to be a part of who you are. And I hear it, I always hear it in college students, because they're like, man, I ask a college student, I'm like, hey, what are you in school for? Oh, for accounting. But I don't want to just be an accountant. I want to be an accountant that works at a nonprofit that, like, brings water to people that don't have water. You know, and I want to get rich doing it, too, by the way. It's kind of this funny thing we add on to it. It's like those two things don't work together, by the way, college students. But everything, I don't want to just be a doctor. I want to be a doctor that helps people in need, that removes cancer. Or deals with like you know, it deals with like heart problems that babies have. Like there's always every time I talk to one of you, there's something that you want to do, but you always want to do it for a higher process, a, pro- a purpose. You always want to do it for a bigger thing than what you are. Yet many times, what we're doing is we're looking for those things in the wrong places. See, God has already called you to a great mission. 
He's already called you to a higher purpose. But many of us, I believe, don't feel that and experience that in our faith with Jesus because what we have become is fans of Jesus and not disciples of Jesus. See, there was two kinds of people that followed Jesus. He had fans that really loved him and loved the things that he did, and they were following him around, and they were calling him king one day, but the next day they screamed, crucify him. And there was this other group of people called disciples that followed him who were deeply impacted by Jesus and transformed from the inside out. And they had a massive impact on the world. They turned the world upside down and, and, and started this thing called the church and Christianity, and God worked through them powerfully, even in the midst of great persecution and great difficulty. That God worked powerfully through them because they weren't fans of Jesus. They were disciples of Jesus. Guys, God is not calling you into a relationship with him to be his fan. He's calling you into a relationship with him to be his disciple. He doesn't need Instagram followers. In fact, whenever his ministry got big, as you read through the gospels, what he would end up doing is start saying, hey, you're following me around, now commit to me. And then a lot of people would leave. And those that stuck around, he's like, all right, these are my disciples. These are the people that are going to follow me. He wasn't interested in gathering a crowd around him. He was interested in transforming people that are around him. And you can't be a fan. You got to be a disciple. Because you're not transformed by the things you observe. You're transformed by the things that you are with and a part of. You can only be transformed by what you experience. And my fear is this, guys, is that many of us in the church have become fans of Jesus and we're not disciples of Jesus. I could prove it to you in two facts. Here's fact number one. Right now, if every single church in America adopted one child, there would be no reason for a foster system. Not every person in every church one person in every church. We could solve that problem today. And if you remember, what does Jesus say about the widow and the orphan? He says there's no purer religion than those who serve the widow or the orphan. But the church is not obedient to it. Here's the second one. I read this on a recent poll. 90%, you've heard me say this before, but keep saying it. 90% of people 90% of Christians never share the gospel with anybody outside their family ever. The most impactful, incredible thing that's ever happened to you, you don't share it with anybody. I'm afraid many of us are living as fans and not as disciples, and we're missing out on the fruitful, thriving life that God is calling us to. Now, I'm not angry with you, and God isn't angry with you if that's you, but God is beckoning you to something greater. In fact, we're going to look at a passage that we've looked at before at Mercy Hill Church, and it won't be the last time we look at it because it is a very important passage. But before we do that, let me pray. Jesus, open our hearts, break our hearts, reveal what's in our hearts, transform us, and change us. God, we love you. We know you. We want to worship you, and we want to be changed. God, I ask that you would move some people from fan to disciple this morning that our hearts would be transformed and changed, that we would see that we're playing a game. Maybe we're someone that knew you, Jesus, and we know you as Lord and Savior, but we're not following you. God, that was my life for years. 
It doesn't need to be anymore. Maybe it's some people in here that think that, that following God is a religious game and they're wondering if they're even doing it. Lord, bring clarity that they would know the truth of the gospel and be saved. We love you, Jesus, and we praise you. Amen. Okay, if you could do me a favor, open up to Matthew 28. We're going to be in Matthew 28, and we're going to start in verse 18. This, this, book, this verse, as you're opening, I'm going to kind of explain the context. It's called the Great Commission. If you've never heard it, it's called the Great Commission. And it's, the context is Jesus has already died. He's resurrected. He's with his disciples. He's with his followers. And he's commissioning them out to start the church. And it's really commissioning out the book of Acts that we see how the church goes from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. How, this, how he's going to spread the good news of the gospel and the forgiveness that we receive in Christ Jesus. He's commissioning them. He's sending them out. It's extremely important. And it's his last words he's saying to him. He says, and it goes like this. It says, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. All right, this is a declarative sentence. He's making a declaration. He's saying this is something that you're going to do as a follower of Jesus. And I believe, like you've heard this talk probably over and over and over again. Look, tune in. I think Jesus has something for you. I think the word of God has something for you. I think it's going to fall fresh on your heart this morning as God speaks to you as you open yourself up to it. But I think what we see in this passage is four things we need to know about being a disciple. Four things we need to know about being a disciple. And here's the first one. Disciples identify with Jesus. Look at verse 19. He says, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Baptism is us proclaiming that we now identify with Jesus in his death and his life, death, and resurrection. Now, I feel a need to talk about baptism for a second because I don't know what tradition you came from. I don't know what it looked like from you, but I need to say this. Baptism does not equal salvation. Baptism does not equal salvation. Maybe when you were a little kid, somebody dropped some water on your head and then your family told you that you're saved. There's nothing in the Bible that says that. In fact, over and over and over again, what we see in the Bible is that somebody comes to faith and as an outward expression of an inward reality, they get become baptized. See, baptism is us saying, hey, I identify with Christ. In fact, it proclaims a few things about how we identify with Christ. The first thing it proclaims is this, is that we're a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, behold, the new has come, the old is gone. You are a new creation in God. And when we get baptized, we are making a proclamation to everyone around us that says, I have been transformed. I was an enemy of God, and now I'm in the family of God. I was guilty of sin, and now I've been justified by the blood of Christ. I am completely new and transformed and changed. I was, I, was, I was dead in my sins, and now I'm alive in Christ. My identity, who I am, is now wrapped around in who Jesus says I am, not what the world says I am, not what my family says I am, not what culture says I am. Everything is wrapped around who my king has said I am to be. It also proclaims this, that I, it makes a proclamation about ownership in your life. See, the scripture says this, that before you were a Christian, you were owned, you were a slave to sin, that all you could do was rebel against God. But now when we get baptized and we identify with Christ's death when we go into the water and we identify with his resurrection when we come out of the water, what we're saying is this, I'm no longer owned by the things that held me back. I'm owned by King Jesus because he ransomed me with the blood of Christ, amen? That's who owns me. It's also a proclamation of who sits in the power seat of my life. Because before Christ, 
I sat in the power seat. I was the one that made all the decisions, and I led myself to a mess. But now, in Christ, I'm saying, God, you are wiser, and you love me more than I love myself. You get the keys. You're the leader. You're the boss. Where are you pointing me? See, Christians, disciples identify with Christ. Their highest identity in them is Jesus. And when we lead people to Christ, we need to teach them to see that the identity they have in Christ is greater than any other identity the world could place on them. Maybe that's something you need to hear this morning as a Christian, that you've identified yourself with so many other things that are not the gospel. Maybe it's how you perform in school. Maybe it's how you perform in your work. Maybe it's how much money you make. There's all these identities you place on yourself, and the enemy wants to bog you down with it. But what Christ is saying right here is teach them to identify with Jesus as their highest identity, as their truest identity. Jesus is calling you not to associate with him, but to identify with him. And it's not the gospel, guys. When we say Jesus will forgive you outside of relationship with him. See, maybe... Some of you in this room have been associating with Jesus. You've gone to church your whole life. You've heard all the words. You can give all the Sunday morning answers. But if I was to ask you the question right now, what makes you a disciple of Jesus? What makes you a follower of Jesus? How, what would get you into heaven? You'd say, if I went to church enough, if I was a good person, if I read my Bible enough, or I just need to get right with God, you'd use some kind of ridiculous phrase that is not in the Bible that you, this lie that you believe over and over and over and over again. And what we really need to believe, Christians, whether you're a Christian or not, what you really need to believe is that your identity, your standing with God is not founded, it's not founded on your performance, but it's founded on Jesus's performance. The truth is this, that you were guilty of sin. All of us, I was, and not just a little bit. We didn't just break God's law a little bit. We broke it big time. You know how you know that? Because there's something you've done that you don't want anybody else to know. And if they knew, you'd probably have a hard time seeing it again. That's God letting you know right there and then that there's something that you've done that you can't fix yourself. And what the Bible tells us in 623 is the wages of that sin is death. But God wasn't satisfied with being separated from his creation. He wanted his people. And John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That we could have life in his name. And what it takes is believing that Jesus was the son of God, that he lived the perfect life that we could never have lived. That he was punished for our sins on the cross. And that he rose three days later, defeating sin and death, so that we could have life in his name. And Romans 10.9 and 10 says like this, that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, that Jesus is Lord will be justified where the heart, where the mouth one confesses and is saved, where the heart one believes and is justified before the Lord, that we confess with our mouth what we truly believe in our heart. An intellectual understanding of God will never get you to heaven. A heart devotion will. And some of you as Christians have forgotten that your identity, everything you do, bleeds from your identity as a disciple of Jesus. And you need to remember that. The first thing about being a disciple is understanding your identity is in Christ. Secondly, the second mark of a disciple is this. They conform to the image of Jesus. Look at verse 20. It says, teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. It's like, come on, Jesus, all? 
all, all I don't look, look, all, I don't even know the rules to my favorite games. I'm serious. I'm like, oh, I don't know if it's one foot or two foot in an AFL. I don't know. I actually do know that, but there's a bunch I don't know. When he says, teach them to observe all that I've commanded, he's saying, Jesus is saying to his disciples, teach these new Christians how to walk in their new identity. Teach them how to obey God. You have been so radically changed on the inside. Radical transformation on the outside is the only thing that makes sense. It's the only thing that makes sense. And when we are, when we are radically transformed on the inside but not on the outside, it's like an orphan that has been adopted by the king but still goes out and begs every night and wears rags. Maybe that's you. You know the son. You know the king. You are a follower of Jesus, but you keep living in an old life that isn't yours anymore. Guys, I did that for years. I knew who Jesus was. I had no idea what it was to follow him. But Jesus has placed this command on his disciples to help new disciples walk in obedience to God, that the inward would be seen on the outward. And by the way, the outward transformation, it's a process. It's not going to happen just like that. If you're a new Christian in the room, you've experienced that. You begin following Jesus, and all of a sudden you struggle with an old sin. You're like, why is this happening? Am I not saved? Did I not mean it when I prayed the prayer or whatever you start going through in your head? You have to understand that sanctification is a process. Learning to walk with God is your sanctification. It is your outward matching your inward. I loved how Timmy talked about that, that we've already been justified by the blood of Christ. Now God is calling us to live a life that's obedient to him because it, that our outward would, would reflect our inward, and you've been made to do it. Ephesians 2.10 tells us this, you are the workmanship of Christ prepared beforehand that you are the workmanship of Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. See, the verses before that, 8 and 9, says that your salvation is accomplished not by your works, but by the works of God. But verse 10 said, now that you've been saved, now you've been saved towards a purpose. You've been saved towards something, not just from something. You've been saved to live out a life that you were meant to live. And obedience is a process, though. You're not going to get it right away. Be gracious to yourself because God is gracious to you. Christian, do you understand that he says this to you? He says that your sins, if you're a follower in Jesus, your sins are as far as the east is from the west. The thing that you can't forget, God can't remember. He's already forgiven you. There's no reason to beat yourself up over it. Just turn to him because he's good. And there are things that he's calling us to when he says, hey, teach them to observe all that I've commanded, some of you hear this. Oh, that's the catch. I follow Jesus, and then he manipulates me to do all the things he wants me to do. Actually, the commands that God are giving is giving us is for our own good. God's commands, his law exists for us, not against us. The things he's calling us to do, they're for our good. The boundaries he placed in our life is to preserve your life, that it would thrive, not to squeeze it out. Just like a good father. 
places boundaries around his children. God places boundaries around us. I'm a father of three. If my kids had no boundaries and I gave them no commands, you'd be like, you're the worst father that's ever existed. You'd say, you don't care about your children. You don't love your children. You don't want your children to thrive. They don't know any better. To be a derelict dad. God's not a derelict dad, and the commands that he's given us, the reason why he says, teach them to observe all that commanded, because he has something for you, Christian. He has something for you. In fact, in, in, in John 15, 10, he said he gives us our, these commandments so that his joy would be in us and our joy would be full. Guys, the things God is calling you to do is meant to increase your joy, not take from it. I'll give you two examples. One is the things he tells you not to do, he's not telling you not to do to be like, oh my gosh, uh, I can't do this. Like we'll sometimes as Christians look at the sin that the world is going in and we feel like we're missing, missing out. Let me just give you an example, lying. Why does God tell us not to lie other than we go, well, it's wrong. Because when we lie to people regularly, we destroy the relationships around us. Not only do we destroy other people because we're lying to them, but we also destroy the relationships in the life that we have. See how God gives that to us for our good? Not only that, do we notice that sin, the thing he's calling us away from, was pointing us to death? He's saying, stop going back to that. You are drinking poison. It was keeping you from experiencing intimacy with Jesus. But when we walk in line with his design, when we follow his commands, we're removing things that, that cause distance between us and God and our intimacy with him. When I'm not lying to my dad, I have a better relationship with my dad. When I'm not breaking my father's rules, I have a better relationship with my father. Because not, there's nothing between us. I'm not deceiving him. It's the same with the Father. See, obedience, guys, following God's design. Disciples are meant to conform to the image of God. Not just because, but because he's leading us to something that is greater, that is good. The last reason why God is calling us to learn to do all that he's commanded us, not only for our own joy, but we become a picture to the world about God. Peter says in his epistle, he says, hey, when people come after you, live a God-honoring life, and then they'll have nothing against you, and they'll draw them to you. They'll draw them to Jesus. Like, when you have a neighbor that wants to destroy you and wants to spread awful things about you, and you don't return the same for them, but you love them in, in, in spite of that, that's a picture to that person and everyone else about how God deals with you and how God will deal with them. In fact, I promise you this. In those moments, if you persevere and you love and, and you do the things that God's calling you to do in dealing with that person, I promise you there's going to be a moment that that person, that God is going to nudge at that person's heart and they're going to come around to you, and they're going to talk to you about, okay, God's doing this life. I respect you. Tell me what's going on. I've seen it too many times in my life. It'll happen. Here's the third mark. Disciples go where Jesus sends them. Disciples go where Jesus sends them. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Verse 19, go. Jesus makes a statement. He says, all authority in heaven and earth 
all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. And he says, go. That's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not if it's convenient. It's not if it's easy. It's not if it fits in your schedule. It's a command that God says, hey, go, go, actively go. See, it is on us not to save people, but to bring the news of the gospel to other people. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 5, it says we're meant to live as ambassadors, people who represent a foreign kingdom and a foreign land that don't even speak on the, the, the authority of themselves, that deliver the message of the gospel to others around us, that God has entrusted that to us to go to make disciples, to go to those around us. It's not up to the world to come to us. It's up to us to go to the world. God is calling us to do that. That's the command that he's given to us. And listen to me, that is exactly in line with who Jesus is because did not the father send the son? Is he not sending us? There is a fraternity. There is a sorority. There's a classroom. There's a dorm. There is an apartment complex, a neighborhood, a workplace. God is sending you out as a missionary somewhere. And disciples obey, even if it's to the ends of the earth. In Acts 1.8, he gives a similar command. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Wherever Jesus is sending you, to what dorm? What neighborhood, what workplace? He's sending you just as God the Father sent the Son. He is sending you to go. The fourth mark is this. Disciples reproduce themselves. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Not fans, but disciples. A disciple in the simplest term, is someone who follows and learns from Jesus. God is calling us not to save people, but to share with people. And I promise you this, it may not be this week or next week, but if you walk in obedience to follow Jesus, you will see excess fruit in your life. You will see dead people come alive. You'll see people step out of out of you'll see people step out of the death that they were in their sin and into the life of Christ. You're gonna see a picture of that next week as we baptize a ton of people. And you will be overcome with the joy that comes with that. I know it's scary. I know it's tough. I know it may be uncomfortable and it may cost you something. but he's not calling you to do it to take from you. He he has something for you. I promise you he does. Men and women, people in this room that call themselves Christ followers, it's time to be disciples. It's time to be disciple makers because what God has given and entrusted us with so much and has been so gracious and good to us it has to start with our identity. It has to start with the goodness you've received that overflows into the necessity to share with others. If you want to see fruit in your life, we can't pick and choose the things that we obey God on. We have to say, I'm all yours. And I want so badly 
that for you. I want so badly that for me, that we'd be people transformed by the work and word of God in such a way that we share with others and we see God work through us and to others. Don't you want that too? You want to see Jesus work. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much for an opportunity to make much of you. Lord, we see this. And God, I pray that we examine our hearts and our minds and ask, are we being a disciple? Are we following you, Jesus? Are we going to those around us? Lord, thank you for all the people you sent to us. The countless names and faces and conversations that you used other people in our lives to cause transformation to happen. God, some of us moved here to do this. We moved here to be these kind of people. And you want it more than we do. You want to see the city of Cincinnati change. You want to see the campus of UC and Xavier and Northern Kentucky. You want to see those places transformed by the mercy of God. You want to do a work in people's lives. And you want us to be a part of it, Lord. God, I ask that we don't see it as a burden, but we see it as a privilege to labor alongside our Father that we would understand that doing the things that you're calling us to do, we would experience infinite amount of joy, even if the devil has placed so much fear in our hearts. Even if he has just laced us with lies, I'm not good at it. But God, you got an answer for that. You said you're with us always and all authority and power is with you on heaven and earth. I'm not perfect. We don't need to be perfect. have what it takes. Yeah, but the king of the universe does. He's given you the promises with you. Lord, you have so much for us. May we lean into you. May we be changed and transformed. Amen.